the gentle boy part one from twice told tales by nathaniel hawthorne this librivox recording is in the public domain read by bob newfeld in the course of the year sixteen fifty six several of the people called quakers led as they professed by the inward movement of the spirit made their appearance in new england their reputation as holders of mystic and pernicious principles having spread before them the puritans early endeavoured to banish and to prevent the further intrusion of the rising sect but the measures by which it was intended to purge the land of heresy though more than sufficiently vigorous were entirely unsuccessful the quakers esteeming persecution as a divine call to the post of danger laid claim to a holy courage unknown to the puritans themselves who had shunned the cross by providing for the peaceable exercise of their religion in a distant wilderness though it was the singular fact that every nation of the earth rejected the wandering enthusiasts who practised peace towards all men the place of greatest uneasiness and peril and therefore in their eyes the most eligible was the province of massachusetts bay the fines imprisonments and stripes literally distributed by our pious forefathers the popular antipathy so strong that it endured nearly a hundred years after actual persecution had ceased were attractions as powerful for the quakers as peace honour and reward would have been for the worldly-minded every european vessel brought new cargoes of the sect eager to testify against the oppression which they hoped to share and when shipmasters were restrained by heavy fines from affording them passage they made long and circuitous journeys through the indian country and appeared in the province as if conveyed by a supernatural power their enthusiasm heightened almost to madness by the treatment which they received produced actions contrary to the rules of decency as well as of rational religion and presented a singular contrast to the calm and staid deportment of their sectarian successors of the present day. The command of the spirit, inaudible except to the soul, and not to be controverted on grounds of human wisdom, was made a plea for most indecorous exhibitions, which, abstractedly considered, well deserved the moderate chastisement of the rod. These extravagances, and the persecution which was at once their cause and consequence continued to increase till in the year sixteen fifty nine the government of massachusetts bay indulged two members of the quaker sect with the crown of martyrdom an indelible stain of blood is upon the hands of all who consented to this act but a large share of the awful responsibility must rest upon the person then at the head of the government he was a man of narrow mind and imperfect education and his uncompromising bigotry was made hot and mischievous by violence and hasty passions he exerted his influence indecorously and unjustifiably to compass the death of the enthusiasts and his whole conduct in respect to them was marked by brutal cruelty the quakers whose revengeful feelings were not less deep because they were inactive remembered this man and his associates in after times the historian of the sect affirms that by the wrath of heaven 
a blight fell upon the land in the vicinity of the bloody town of boston so that no wheat would grow there and he takes his stand as it were among the graves of the ancient persecutors and triumphantly recounts the judgments that overtook them in old age or at the parting hour he tells us that they died suddenly and violently and in madness but nothing can exceed the bitter mockery with which he records the loathsome disease and death by rottenness of the fierce and cruel governor on the evening of the autumn day that had witnessed the martyrdom of two men of the quaker persuasion a puritan settler was returning from the metropolis to the neighboring country town in which he resided the air was cool the sky clear and the lingering twilight was made brighter by the rays of a young moon which had now nearly reached the verge of the horizon the traveller a man of middle age wrapped in a grey frieze cloak quickened his pace when he reached the outskirts of the town for a gloomy extent of nearly four miles lay between him and his house the low straw-thatched houses were scattered at considerable intervals along the road and the country having been settled but about thirty years the tracts of original forest still bore no small proportion to the cultivated ground the autumn wind wandered among the branches whirling away the leaves from all except the pine trees and moaning as if it lamented the desolation of which it was the instrument the road had penetrated the mass of woods that lay nearest to the town and was just emerging into an open space where the traveller's ears were saluted by a sound more mournful than even that of the wind it was like the wailing of some one in distress and it seemed to proceed from beneath a tall and lonely fir-tree in the centre of a cleared but unclosed and uncultivated field the puritan could not but remember that this was the very spot which had been made accursed a few hours before by the execution of the quakers whose bodies had been thrown together into one hasty grave beneath the tree on which they suffered he struggled however against the superstitious fears which belonged to the age and compelled himself to pause and listen the voice is most likely mortal nor have i cause to tremble if it be otherwise thought he straining his eyes through the dim moonlight methinks it is like the wailing of a child some infant it may be which has strayed from its mother and chanced upon this place of death for the ease of mine own conscience i must search this matter out he therefore left the path and walked somewhat fearfully across the field though now so desolate its soil was pressed down and trampled by the thousand footsteps of those who had witnessed the spectacle of that day all of whom had now retired leaving the dead to their loneliness the traveller at length reached the fir-tree which from the middle upward was covered with living branches although a scaffold had been erected beneath and other preparations made for the work of death under this unhappy tree which in after times was believed to drop poison with its dew sat the one solitary mourner for innocent blood it was a slender and light-clad little boy who leaned his face upon a hillock of fresh-turned and half-frozen earth and wailed bitterly yet in a suppressed tone 
as if his grief might receive the punishment of crime. The Puritan, whose approach had been unperceived, laid his hand upon the child's shoulder and addressed him compassionately. "'You have chosen a dreary lodging, my dear boy, and no wonder that you weep,' said he. "'But dry your eyes and tell me where your mother dwells. I promise you, if the journey be not too far, I will leave you in her arms to-night.' The boy had hushed his wailing at once, and turned his face upward to the stranger. It was a pale, bright-eyed countenance, certainly not more than six years old, but sorrow, fear, and want had destroyed much of its infantile expression. The Puritan, seeing the boy's frightened gaze and feeling that he trembled under his hand, endeavoured to reassure him. "'Nay, if I intended to do you harm, little lad, the readiest way were to leave you here. What, you do not fear to sit beneath the gallows on a new-made grave, and yet you tremble at a friend's touch? Take heart, child, and tell me what is your name and where is your home. Friend, replied the little boy in a sweet though faltering voice, they call me Ibrahim, and my home is here. The pale spiritual face, the eyes that seemed to mingle with the moonlight, the sweet airy voice, and the outlandish name almost made the Puritan believe that the boy was in truth a being which had sprung up out of the grave on which he sat. But perceiving that the apparition stood the test of a short mental prayer, and remembering that the arm which he had touched was lifelike, he adopted a more rational supposition. The poor child is stricken in his intellect, thought he, but verily his words are fearful in a place like this. He then spoke soothingly, intending to humour the boy's fantasy. Your home will scarce be comfortable, Ibrahim, this cold autumn night, and I fear you are ill provided with food. I am hastening to a warm supper and bed, and if you will go with me, you shall share them. I thank thee, friend, but though I be hungry and shivering with cold, thou wilt not give me food nor lodging, replied the boy, in the quiet tone which despair had taught him even so young. My father was of the people whom all men hate. They have laid him under this heap of earth, and here is my home. The Puritan, who had laid hold of little Ibrahim's hand, relinquished it as if he were touching a loathsome reptile. But he possessed a compassionate heart, which not even religious prejudice could harden into stone. God forbid that I should leave this child to perish, though he comes of the accursed sect, said he to himself. Do we not all spring from an evil root? Are we not all in darkness till the light doth shine upon us? He shall not perish, neither in body nor, if prayer and instruction may avail for him, in soul. He then spoke aloud and kindly to Ibrahim, who had again hid his face in the cold earth of the grave. Was every door in the land shut against you, my child, that you have wandered to this unhallowed spot? They drove me forth from the prison when they took my father thence, said the boy, 
and I stood afar off, watching the crowd of people. And when they were gone, I came hither, and found only this grave. I knew that my father was sleeping here, and I said, This shall be my home. No, child, no, not while I have a roof over my head or a morsel to share with you, exclaimed the Puritan, whose sympathies were now fully excited. Rise up and come with me, and fear not any harm. The boy wept afresh, and clung to the heap of earth as if the cold heart beneath it were warmer to him than any in a living breast. The traveller, however, continued to entreat him tenderly, and seeming to acquire some degree of confidence, he at length arose. But his tender limbs tottered with weakness, his little head grew dizzy, and he leaned against the tree of death for support. "'My poor boy, are you so feeble?' said the Puritan. "'When did you taste food last?' "'I—' ate of bread and water with my father in the prison replied ibrahim but they brought him none neither yesterday nor to-day saying that he had eaten enough to bear him to his journey's end trouble not thyself for my hunger kind friend for i have lacked food many times ere now the traveller took the child in his arms and wrapped his cloak about him while his heart stirred with shame and anger against the gratuitous cruelty of the instruments in this persecution. In the awakened warmth of his feelings he resolved that, at whatever risk, he would not forsake the poor little defenceless being whom heaven had confided to his care. With this determination he left the accursed field and resumed the homeward path from which the wailing of the boy had called him. The light and motionless burden scarcely impeded his progress, and he soon beheld the fire-rays from the windows of the cottage which he, a native of a distant clime, had built in the western wilderness. It was surrounded by a considerable extent of cultivated ground, and the dwelling was situated in the nook of a wood-covered hill, whither it seemed to have crept for protection. "'Look up, child,' said the Puritan to Ibrahim whose faint head had sunk upon his shoulder. "'There is our home.' At the word home a thrill passed through the child's frame, but he continued silent. A few moments brought them to the cottage door, at which the owner knocked, for at that early period, when savages were wandering everywhere among the settlers, bolt and bar were indispensable to the security of a dwelling. The summons was answered by a bond-servant, a coarse-clad and dull-featured piece of humanity, who, after ascertaining that his master was the applicant, undid the door and held a flaring pine-knot torch to light him in. Farther back in the passageway the red blaze discovered a matronly woman, but no little crowd of children came bounding forth to greet their father's return. As the Puritan entered, he thrust aside his cloak and displayed Ibrahim's face to the female. "'Dorothy, here is a little outcast whom Providence hath put into our hands,' observed he. "'Be kind to him, even as if he were of those dear ones who have departed from us.' "'What pale and bright-eyed little boy is this, Tobias?' 
she inquired. Is he one whom the wilderness folk have ravished from some Christian mother? No, Dorothy, this poor child is no captive from the wilderness, he replied. The heathen savage would have given him to eat of his scanty morsel and to drink of his birchen cup, but Christian men, alas, had cast him out to die. Then he told her how he had found him beneath the gallows upon his father's grave, and how his heart had prompted him, like the speaking of an inward voice, to take the little outcast home and be kind unto him. He acknowledged his resolution to feed and clothe him as if he were his own child, and to afford him the instruction which should counteract the pernicious errors hitherto instilled into his infant mind. Dorothy was gifted with an even quicker tenderness than her husband and she approved of all his doings and intentions. "'Have you a mother, dear child?' she inquired. The tears burst forth from his full heart as he attempted to reply, but Dorothy at length understood that he had a mother, who, like the rest of her sect, was a persecuted wanderer. She had been taken from the prison a short time before, carried into the uninhabited wilderness, and left to perish there by hunger or wild beasts. This was no uncommon method of disposing of the Quakers, and they were accustomed to boast that the inhabitants of the desert were more hospitable to them than civilized man. "'Fear not, little boy. You shall not need a mother and a kind one,' said Dorothy, when she had gathered this information. "'Dry your tears, Ibrahim.' and be my child, as I will be your mother. The good woman prepared the little bed from which her own children had successively been born to another resting place. Before Ibrahim would consent to occupy it, he knelt down, and as Dorothy listened to his simple and affecting prayer, she marveled how the parents that had taught it to him could have been judged worthy of death. When the boy had fallen asleep, she bent over his pale and spiritual countenance, pressed a kiss upon his white brow, drew the bedclothes up about his neck, and went away with a pensive gladness in her heart. Tobias Pearson was not among the earliest emigrants from the old country. He had remained in England during the first years of the Civil War, in which he had borne some share as a cornet of dragoons under Cromwell. But when the ambitious designs of his leader began to develop themselves, he quitted the army of the Parliament, and sought a refuge from the strife, which was no longer holy among the people of his persuasion, in the colony of Massachusetts. A more worldly consideration had perhaps an influence in drawing him thither, for New England offered advantages to men of unprosperous fortunes as well as to dissatisfied religionists and Pearson had hitherto found it difficult to provide for a wife and increasing family. To this supposed impurity of motive, the more bigoted Puritans were inclined to impute the removal by death of all the children for whose earthly good the father had been over-thoughtful. They had left their native country blooming like roses, and, like roses, they had perished in a foreign soil. Those expounders of the ways of providence, who had thus judged their brother and attributed his domestic sorrows to his sin, 
were not more charitable when they saw him and Dorothy endeavouring to fill up the void in their hearts by the adoption of an infant of the accursed sect. Nor did they fail to communicate their disapprobation to Tobias. But the latter, in reply, merely pointed at the little quiet lovely boy, whose appearance and deportment were indeed as powerful arguments as could possibly have been adduced in his own favour. Even his beauty, however, and his winning manners sometimes produced an effect ultimately unfavourable, for the bigots, when the outer surfaces of their iron hearts had been softened and again grew hard, affirmed that no merely natural cause could have so worked upon them. Their antipathy to the poor infant was also increased by the ill-success of diverse theological discussions in which it was attempted to convince him of the errors of his sect. Ibrahim, it is true, was not a skilful controversialist, but the feeling of his religion was strong as instinct in him, and he could neither be enticed nor driven from the faith which his father had died for. The odium of his stubbornness was shared in a great measure by the child's protectors, insomuch that Tobias and Dorothy very shortly began to experience a most bitter species of persecution in the cold regards of many a friend whom they had valued. The common people manifested their opinions more openly. Pearson was a man of some consideration, being a representative to the general court and an approved lieutenant in the trained bands yet within a week after his adoption of ibrahim he had been both hissed and hooted once also when walking through a solitary piece of woods he heard a loud voice from some invisible speaker and it cried what shall be done to the backslider lo the scourge is knotted for him even the whip of nine cords and every cord three knots these insults irritated pearson's temper for the moment they entered also into his heart and became imperceptible but powerful workers toward an end which his most secret thoughts had not yet whispered on the second sabbath after ibrahim became a member of their family pearson and his wife deemed it proper that he should appear with them at public worship they had anticipated some opposition to this measure from the boy but he prepared himself in silence, and at the appointed hour was clad in the new morning suit which Dorothy had wrought for him. As the parish was then, and during many subsequent years, unprovided with a bell, the signal for the commencement of religious exercises was the beat of a drum. At the first sound of that martial call to the place of holy and quiet thoughts, Tobias and Dorothy set forth each holding a hand of little ibrahim like two parents linked together by the infant of their love on their path through the leafless woods they were overtaken by many persons of their acquaintance all of whom avoided them and passed by on the other side but a severer trial awaited their constancy when they had descended the hill and drew near the pine-built and undecorated house of prayer Around the door, from which the drummer still sent forth his thundering summons, was drawn up a formidable phalanx, including several of the oldest members of the congregation, many of the middle-aged, and nearly all the younger males. Pearson found it difficult to sustain their united and disapproving gaze, 
but Dorothy, whose mind was differently circumstanced, merely drew the boy closer to her, and faltered not in her approach. As they entered the door, they overheard the muttered sentiments of the assemblage, and when the reviling voices of the little children smote Ibrahim's ear, he wept. The interior aspect of the meeting-house was rude. The low ceiling, the unplastered walls, the naked woodwork, and the undraperied pulpit offered nothing to excite the devotion which, without such external aids, often remains latent in the heart. The floor of the building was occupied by rows of long cushionless benches supplying the place of the pews, and the broad aisle formed a sexual division, impassable except by children beneath a certain age. Pearson and Dorothy separated at the door of the meeting-house, and Ibrahim, being within the years of infancy, was retained under the care of the latter. The wrinkled beldams involved themselves in their rusty cloaks as he passed by. Even the mild-featured maidens seemed to dread contamination, and many a stern old man arose and turned his repulsive and unheavenly countenance upon the gentle boy, as if the sanctuary were polluted by his presence. He was a sweet infant of the skies that had strayed away from his home and all the inhabitants of this miserable world closed up their impure hearts against him, drew back their earth-soiled garments from his touch, and said, We are holier than thou. Ibrahim, seated by the side of his adopted mother, and retaining fast hold of her hand, assumed a grave and decorous demeanour, such as might befit a person of matured taste and understanding, who should find himself in a temple dedicated to some worship which he did not recognize, but felt himself bound to respect. The exercises had not yet commenced, however, when the boy's attention was arrested by an event apparently of trifling interest. A woman, having her face muffled in a hood and a cloak drawn completely about her form, advanced slowly up the broad aisle and took place upon the foremost bench. Ibrahim's faint colour varied, his nerves fluttered. He was unable to turn his eyes from the muffled female. When the preliminary prayer and hymn were over, the minister arose, and, having turned the hourglass which stood by the great Bible, commenced his discourse. He was now well stricken in years a man of pale thin countenance and his grey hairs were closely covered by a black velvet skull-cap in his younger days he had practically learned the meaning of persecution from archbishop laud and he was not now disposed to forget the lesson against which he had murmured then introducing the often discussed subject of the quakers he gave a history of that sect and a description of their tenets in which error predominated and prejudice distorted the aspect of what was true he adverted to the recent measures in the province and cautioned his hearers of weaker parts against calling in question the just severity which god-fearing magistrates had at length been compelled to exercise he spoke of the danger of pity in some cases a commendable and christian virtue but inapplicable to this pernicious sect he observed that such was their devilish obstinacy in error that even the little children 
the sucking babes were hardened and desperate heretics he affirmed that no man without heaven's especial warrant should attempt their conversion lest while he lent his hand to draw them from a slough he should himself be precipitated into its lowest depth the sands of the second hour were principally in the lower half of the glass when the sermon concluded an approving murmur followed and the clergyman having given out a hymn took his seat with much self-congratulation and endeavoured to read the effect of his eloquence in the visages of the people but while voices from all parts of the house were tuning themselves to sing a scene occurred which though not very unusual at that period in the province happened to be without precedent in this parish the muffled female who had hitherto sat motionless in the front rank of the audience now arose and with slow stately and unwavering step ascended the pulpit stairs the quaverings of incipient harmony were hushed and the divine sat in speechless and almost terrified astonishment while she undid the door and stood up in the sacred desk from which his maledictions had just been thundered she then divested herself of the cloak and hood and appeared in a most singular array a shapeless robe of sackcloth was girded about her waist with a knotted cord her raven hair fell down upon her shoulders and its blackness was defiled by pale streaks of ashes which she had strewn upon her head her eyebrows dark and strongly defined added to the deathly whiteness of a countenance which emaciated with want and wild with enthusiasm and strange sorrows retained no trace of earlier beauty this figure stood gazing earnestly on the audience and there was no sound nor any movement except a faint shuddering which every man observed in his neighbour but was scarcely conscious of in himself at length when her fit of inspiration came she spoke for the first few moments in a low voice and not invariably distinct utterance her discourse gave evidence of an imagination hopelessly entangled with her reason it was a vague and incomprehensible rhapsody which however seemed to spread its own atmosphere round the hearer's soul and to move his feelings by some influence unconnected with the words as she proceeded beautiful but shadowy images would sometimes be seen like bright things moving in a turbid river or a strong and singularly shaped idea leapt forth and seized at once on the understanding but the course of her unearthly eloquence soon led to the persecutions of her sect and from thence the step was short to her own peculiar sorrows she was naturally a woman of mighty passions and hatred and revenge now wrapped themselves in the garb of piety the character of her speech was changed her images became distinct though wild and her denunciations had an almost hellish bitterness the governor and his mighty men she said have gathered together taking counsel among themselves and saying what shall we do unto this people even unto the people that have come into this land to put our iniquity to the blush and lo the devil entereth into the council chamber like a lame man of low stature and gravely apparelled 
with a dark and twisted countenance and a bright downcast eye and he standeth up among the rulers yea he goeth to and fro whispering to each and every man lends his ear for his word is slay slay but i say unto ye woe to them that slay woe to them that shed the blood of saints woe to them that have slain the husband and cast forth the child the tender infant to wander homeless and hungry and cold till he die and have saved the mother alive in the cruelty of their tender mercies woe to them in their lifetime cursed are they in the delight and pleasure of their hearts woe to them in their death hour whether it comes swiftly with blood and violence or after long and lingering pain woe in the dark house in the rottenness of the grave when the children's children shall revile the ashes of the fathers woe 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 at the judgment when all the persecuted and all the slain in this bloody land and the father the mother and the child shall await them in a day that they cannot escape seed of the faith ye whose hearts are moving with a power that ye know not arise wash your hands of this innocent blood lift your voices chosen ones cry aloud and call down a woe and a judgment with me having thus given vent to the flood of malignity which she mistook for inspiration the speaker was silent her voice was succeeded by the hysteric shrieks of several women but the feelings of the audience generally had not been drawn onward in the current with her own they remained stupefied stranded as it were in the midst of a torrent which deafened them by its roaring but might not move them by its violence the clergyman who could not hitherto have ejected the usurper of his pulpit otherwise than by bodily force now addressed her in the tone of just indignation and legitimate authority get you down woman from the holy place which you profane he said is it to the lord's house that you come to pour forth the foulness of your heart and the inspiration of the devil get you down and remember that the sentence of death is on you yea and shall be executed were it but for this day's work i go friend i go for the voice hath had its utterance replied she in a depressed and even mild tone i have done my mission unto thee and to thy people reward me with stripes imprisonments or death as ye shall be permitted the weakness of exhausted passion caused her steps to totter as she descended the pulpit stairs the people in the meanwhile were stirring to and fro on the floor of the house whispering among themselves and glancing toward the intruder many of them now recognized her as the woman who had assaulted the governor with frightful language as he passed by the window of her prison 
they knew also that she was adjudged to suffer death and had been preserved only by an involuntary banishment into the wilderness the new outrage by which she had provoked her fate seemed to render further lenity impossible and a gentleman in military dress with a stout man of inferior rank drew toward the door of the meeting-house and awaited her approach scarcely did her feet press the floor however when an unexpected scene occurred in that moment of her peril when every eye frowned with death a little timid boy threw his arms round his mother i am here mother it is i and i will go with thee to prison he exclaimed she gazed at him with a doubtful and almost frightened expression for she knew that the boy had been cast out to perish and she had not hoped to see his face again she feared perhaps that it was but one of the happy visions with which her excited fancy had often deceived her in the solitude of the desert or in prison but when she felt his hand warm within her own and heard his little eloquence of childish love she began to know that she was yet a mother blessed art thou my son she sobbed my heart was withered yea dead with thee and with thy father and now it leaps as in the first moment when i pressed thee to my bosom she knelt down and embraced him again and again while the joy that could find no words expressed itself in broken accents like the bubbles gushing up to vanish at the surface of a deep fountain the sorrows of past years and the darker peril that was nigh cast not a shadow on the brightness of that fleeting moment soon however the spectators saw a change upon her face as the consciousness of her sad estate returned and grief supplied the fount of tears which joy had opened by the words she uttered it would seem that the indulgence of natural love had given her mind a momentary sense of its errors and made her know how far she had strayed from duty in following the dictates of a wild fanaticism in a doleful hour art thou returned to me poor boy she said for thy mother's path has gone darkening onward till now the end is death son son i have borne thee in my arms when my limbs were tottering and i have fed thee with the food that i was fainting for yet i have ill performed a mother's part by thee in life and now i leave thee no inheritance but woe and shame thou wilt go seeking through the world and find all hearts closed against thee and their sweet affections turn to bitterness for my sake my child my child how many a pang awaits thy gentle spirit and i the cause of all she hid her face on ibrahim's head and her long raven hair discoloured with the ashes of her mourning fell down about him like a veil a low and interrupted moan was the voice of her heart's anguish and it did not fail to move the sympathies of many who mistook their involuntary virtue for a sin sobs were audible in the female section of the house and every man who was a father drew his hand across his eyes 
Tobias Pearson was agitated and uneasy, but a certain feeling like the consciousness of guilt oppressed him, so that he could not go forth and offer himself as the protector of a child. Dorothy, however, had watched her husband's eye. Her mind was free from the influence that had begun to work on his, and she drew near the Quaker woman and addressed her in the hearing of all the congregation. "'Stranger, trust this boy to me, and I will be his mother,' she said, taking Ibrahim's hand. "'Providence has signally marked out my husband to protect him, and he has fed at our table and lodged under our roof now many days, till our hearts have grown very strongly unto him. Leave the tender child with us, and be at ease concerning his welfare.' The Quaker rose from the ground, but drew the boy closer to her while she gazed earnestly in Dorothy's face. Her mild but saddened features and neat matronly attire harmonized together and were like a verse of fireside poetry. Her very aspect proved that she was blameless, so far as mortal could be so, in respect to God and man, while the enthusiast, in her robe of sackcloth and girdle of knotted cord, had as evidently violated the duties of the present life and the future by fixing her attention wholly on the latter. The two females, as they held each a brand of Ibrahim, formed a practical allegory. It was rational piety and unbridled fanaticism contending for the empire of a young heart. "'Thou art not of our people,' said the Quaker mournfully. "No." "'We are not of your people,' replied Dorothy, with mildness. "'But we are Christians, looking upward to the same heaven with you. "'Doubt not that your boy shall meet you there, "'if there be a blessing on our tender and prayerful guidance of him. "'Thither, I trust, my own children have gone before me, "'for I also have been a mother. "'I am no longer so.' she added in a faltering tone, and your son will have all my care. But will you lead him in the path which his parents have trodden? demanded the Quaker. Can you teach him the enlightened faith which his father has died for, and for which I, even I, am soon to become an unworthy martyr? The boy has been baptized in blood, will ye keep the mark fresh and ruddy upon his forehead i will not deceive you answered dorothy if your child become our child we must breed him up in the instruction which heaven has imparted to us we must pray for him the prayers of our own faith we must do toward him according to the dictates of our own consciences and not of yours were we to act otherwise we should abuse your trust, even in complying with your wishes. The mother looked down upon her boy with a troubled countenance, and then turned her eyes toward heaven. She seemed to pray internally, and the contention of her soul was evident. "'Friend,' she said at length to Dorothy, "'I doubt not that my son shall receive all earthly tenderness at thy hands.' nay i will believe that even thy imperfect lights may guide him to a better world for surely thou art on the path thither 
but thou hast spoken of a husband doth he stand here among this multitude of people for i must know to whom i commit this most precious trust she turned her face upon the male auditors and after a momentary delay tobias pearson came forth from among them the quaker saw the dress which marked his military rank and shook her head but then she noted the hesitating air the eyes that struggled with her own and were vanquished the colour that went and came and could find no resting place as she gazed an unmirthful smile spread over her features like sunshine that grows melancholy in some desolate spot her lips moved inaudibly but at length she spake i hear it i hear it the voice speaketh within me and saith leave thy child catherine for his place is here and go hence for i have other work for thee break the bonds of natural affection martyr thy love and know that in all these things eternal wisdom hath its ends i go friends i go take ye my boy my precious jewel i go hence trusting that all shall be well and that even for his infant hands there is a labour in the vineyard she knelt down and whispered to ibrahim who at first struggled and clung to his mother with sobs and tears but remained passive when she had kissed his cheek and arisen from the ground having held her hands over his head in mental prayer she was ready to depart farewell friends in mine extremity he said to pearson and his wife the good deed ye have done me is a treasure laid up in heaven to be returned a thousandfold hereafter and farewell ye mine enemies to whom it is not permitted to harm so much as a hair of my head nor to stay my footsteps even for a moment the day is coming when ye shall call upon me to witness for ye to this one sin uncommitted and i will rise up and answer she turned her steps toward the door and the men who had stationed themselves to guard it withdrew and suffered her to pass a general sentiment of pity overcame the virulence of religious hatred sanctified by her love and her affliction she went forth and all the people gazed after her till she had journeyed up the hill and was lost behind its brow she went the apostle of her own unquiet heart to renew the wanderings of past years for her voice had been already heard in many lands of christendom and she had pined in the cells of a catholic inquisition before she felt the lash and lay in the dungeons of the puritans her mission had extended also to the followers of the prophet and from them she had received the courtesy and kindness which all the contending sects of our purer religion united to deny her her husband and herself had resided many months in turkey where even the sultan's countenance was gracious to them in that pagan land too was ibrahim's birthplace and his oriental name was a mark of gratitude for the good deeds of an unbeliever end of part one